Welcome to the Wellness and High Performance Podcast with your host, Coach Peter. Wellness is the foundation that unlocks your highest performance both mentally and physically and allows you to enjoy life to its fullest. In each episode, I share bite-sized health, fitness and performance lessons that are going to help you to live your best life. So, put on your shoes, head out of the door and start stepping into your potential. Hello friends, this episode of the Wellness and High Performance Podcast is all about the well-being and functioning and performance of your feet. I had the opportunity to sit down with Mr. Andy Bryant, who is a brilliant natural podiatrist based in Melbourne. We got into many, many different topics around foot health, walking, running, a few specific conditions, and we got into a ton of very, very applicable stuff that you can take away from today's episode. Before we get into that, I would like to remind you that if you haven't taken the opportunity to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Google Reviews yet, it would help me out a ton if you did that. So you can just Google Coach Peter or you can simply leave the rating and review in your Apple Podcast app. And make sure to stay all the way till the end because after the interview is finished, I'm going to share with you how you can take action on what you learned in today's episode. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Mr. Andy Bryant. And we are rolling. Andy Bryant, thank you so much for joining today's episode. Thanks. Great, great to have you here. So, Andy, you're a natural podiatrist. And could you please start off by explaining to the listener, what is, what exactly is natural podiatry? Um. So we might start with traditional podiatry, which is what we're all taught at uni, which is more about um, seeing a foot and um, thinking what's going wrong with it and then trying to correct and adjust that with orthotics and footwear and things like that. So natural podiatry is um, taking the assumption that our bodies are naturally self-organising and that there isn't a perfect alignment or best way and it's encouraging the foot and body to function as it as it's um, designed to, or as it naturally can, without the use of um, support and big shoes and things like this. And so, mostly, it's more about taking things away and maybe working on some mobility and strength. So, just the same as, um, say, an osteo or a physio or, a, or an enlightened chiro will do, they'll mobilise and strengthen rather than support and um, switch off. And that's how I see natural podiatry. Yeah. Fantastic. I absolutely love that concept of um, intervention, not by adding something in, but rather removing the unnatural. Yeah. And it's like such a universal concept. If you have uh, something's wrong with your stomach, it's like the question of, oh, what's the supplement? What's the probiotic that I should take? Versus, are you eating something that might be causing your stomach a problem? And then trying to remove that and going right. going that way. I really love that. Yeah. So, how did you exactly end up going through this way? Like, did you start as an unnatural, conventional <laughs> podiatrist, or how did you well, go go along this line of thinking? At uni, which is over twenty years ago for me now, um, it's it's not even touched on. Like, it's just it's not even um, you know the whole barefoot or minimalist stuff is not even spoken about and there is very little and I assume and I, well I'm told still today there's very little strength and conditioning 
And so the, the podiatrists that are doing it often have a strength and conditioning background, and then they realise you can strengthen the feet as well. Anyway, so I'm just going to stop the phone ringing. Sorry. Yep. Um, so then, um, sorry about that. So the so I was a traditional podiatrist because that's just what you do when you come out of uni. When you go to uni, you learn something and you want to practice that, and that's what you do. I didn't know any better, and so I was in practice with a, um, a partner for 18 years, just doing exactly what every other podiatrist does, but with less. Um, Sorry, I'm really sorry about that. Um, I'll oh, good. The hook. Um, but with less um, focus on I, – I, I was never an over-prescriber of orthotic. I was always, like, making sure it was definitely warranted, and they do still have their place. Um, but I was definitely leaving them in place for a long time. I didn't know any better. And when people asked me about this style of movement or what about going barefoot, I was like, oh, no, you can't strengthen your feet. That was just what we're taught, you know, like the muscles are too small in the foot to strengthen. Um, and I remember saying that. But then I, um, I had a series of head injuries, and it made me a bit crazy. Now, I did actually fall off a bike um, many times in a, couple, in a couple of years, and I couldn't ride anymore, and I was looking for some other physical outlet. And so I took up yoga, and my feet started to get um, a lot stronger with good cueing from teachers. And then I also took up um, – and I was also going to the gym, and there were some people there training barefoot. I'm like, oh, this is strange, because I was in, like, my big ASICs and, you know, really controlling – and so I, I just um, had an inquiring mind and um, noticed my own feet getting stronger by using them. And so that started changing the way I practice. And like I said before, it never the whole orthotic therapy never sat that well with me, even though I made my own, it was our go-to. That's all we're given, really, as a treatment modality. And so um, I, I was very keen to start looking somewhere else. And I think other podiatry looks elsewhere now as well, but they often go down the path of... Um, of, you know, cortisone shots or shockwave therapy, so very, uh, or mobilizations like, um, which are very reliant upon the practitioner. And natural podiatry model is more about education and teaching someone to look after their own feet. And I think I always felt responsibility of, of giving someone an orthotic. It costs a lot of money, and then they're reliant upon that orthotic and me. And I really much prefer the idea of me educating someone and then them becoming. Um, self-sufficient and just using me as a resource as required and that's pretty much what happens like I s mostly see people once or twice and then they just act as a resource for them after that and obviously I'm looking after people that want this style of treatment as well like they don't want a quick answer they want to be able to look after themselves so that's that's important Fantastic. And I do really want to say that you do put out absolutely awesome content and you're so consistent with it too. So you're absolutely doing a great job at being that resource for those people. That's yeah. 100%. And, and, and in that sense, say for Instagram, if that's what you're talking about, um, that's like for the greater um, population to see because I just want other people to know that there's another option, that, they're, that they don't have to take the, the pill or the orthotic or the big shoe that there is another option. And that's what my Instagram is about, um, creating an awareness of another option. And yeah. then um, for my clients, when I say I act as a resource, yeah, they might just follow me along on Instagram. But when it's becoming more specific, um, I like to set them up with the principles of looking after themselves. Like if something's sore, like well, let's check its mobility. Let's see how strong you are. Let's see how it's functioning. And if they can self-check like that, then... Um, then my job's done. But sometimes they just need some help, you know. They might need a reminder that this is the right thing to do. And so they just send me messages and I just answer them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. So when does someone, or is there, a, you kind of alluded to it, but is there a point in time when someone definitely does need an orth orthotic? 
Um, yeah, there are some situations, like an acute... It's, it's like um, a good analogy. There's a couple of analogies. If someone had really hurt their neck or their shoulder or their elbow or, um, or had broken a bone, you would use a brace or a sling or something to help to immobilise while it recovers. Um, and orthotics don't realign. Even those that use them know they don't realign. They change function. And there are other ways to change function. So we often don't need an orthotic, I think. But sometimes there are situations where um, we really need to unload something to help it settle down before we can start strengthening it, before we can start mobilising it. And an orthotic does that well in some situations. And yeah. sometimes it can just be the, um, the final piece of a puzzle to get someone over the, over, over the line in terms of pain. Um, because often we function well without the orthotic, but there's some pain involved. And so I, I'm not only measuring pain, I measure function far more than pain because if we focus on pain too much, um, I think there's negative connotations towards that. So a good example was a guy I've been looking after for like six months, doing really well with his heel pain, but just like just still hanging around. And so we just put an off-the-shelf insole in just to give him a little bit of help, and it got kind of got him over the line for a couple of months, and then we can start weaning him out of that, and then he's, um, he's fine again. You know, like he doesn't need the orthotic. It just helped him with his pain, and then we can wean him off it quite quickly, and then he'll be fine, you know. So that was a good example. Yeah, and during this time, he's doing some type of exercises to strengthen his feet. What what type of exercise do you usually recommend? You know what? In a situation, in most situations, it's not even um, the exercises that, that I sort of see them as window dressing to what I do. And because someone comes to see me, and we uh, the, our model of health is that I'll give them something to do or give them. So really, the big changes come when someone sits less or changes their shoes or. Um, changes their movement habits, you know, like if they're doing the same thing over and over again, so creating more um, movement-rich and variable lifestyle. So they're the big changes, and that's where we see um, long-term benefits. But there are exercises that um, can help along the way and speed up the process. And so really um, that comes down to where I assess someone for mobility and strength, and then we... Um, work on those deficits of mobility usually first and then strength and then, um, you know, and tie in those lifestyle changes and habits. But that's the big one. If you just do your foot exercises but don't change your shoes and sit all day and still do the same movement habits, then you're um, not going to have a long-term result. And so I spell that out quite clear, quite clearly. This is like a, you've got to buy in, you know, it's an all-in Thing. And you can do the bits and pieces around around the edges, and sometimes that's enough to change someone's function and pain. But really, um, in the long term, you'll just come up against another problem at some at some stage unless you make those big changes. I think, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, what I'm really hearing is that it's really a it's a long term process that you've got to be invested in as a client, and you as a practitioner, you're not only looking at the structure, but you're also looking at the function and how yeah. those two things are going to change. Okay. So. The, my mom, she's a flight attendant. Yeah. She's been flight attendant for 30 years. So okay. she's been wearing those yeah. really, really tiny high heels. And like, with like the, I'm like, how do you even fit your shoe into that? That's unbelievable. Yeah. So about a year ago, or actually more than, more than a year ago, she had a, a lot of foot pain. Yeah. And because of COVID, she hasn't been flying for a long, long time now. And she's been only wearing, you know, Vivo barefoot shoes. And she's been doing her strength training barefoot. 
And it's amazing how the food has gone from like being like that. Now yeah. it's like she still has a bit of bunion in there, but it's like it's really opening up. Yeah. And it's it's really remarkable just from like removing, as you were saying, removing that unnatural thing, letting the foot kind of do its thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly how I put it. Like just let the foot do its thing. Like it's it's you've got all the equipment there. We've just got to um, give it the opportunity to work. You know. Um, and that's like such an anti that's such a um, spotlight on our culture that we have um, women specifically um, serving us in an aeroplane in shoes that make them totally dysfunctional. You know, like in terms of their walking like, um I actually met someone that did a thesis on the clothing, like their doctorate, PhD, on the clothing um, of of um, air, people. You know, air. air um, Air hostesses, yeah, yeah, yeah. air hosts. That, that was her thesis on the clothing patterns of air hosts. Um, and she didn't do it with a view to the foot. She was just looking at different uniforms and things like that. But, wow, what a spotlight on our culture that that's what we do, you know? It's crazy. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. There's many things about that profession that I don't particularly like, <laughs> such as the, the sleep deprivation and the jet lag. And, yeah, but she says she's, she's only going to do a couple more years. She's promised yeah. me. So, so yeah. So I think um, I would like to ask more specifically, like there's two things that I've come across with, um, with a lot of my clients, um, with my mom as well. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, first one is bunions. Yeah. So what, what exactly is bunions? What is the, what's going on there and how, how would you go about working with that? Yeah. So um, a bunion, um, most people think it's genetic and I think there is a, um, I, I like to simplify it. I think there are two genetic components and then the rest is environmental. So I'll just go through that, okay? Yeah. So um, I've got my foot bones here. Um, Fantastic. Foot, obviously. So the first and second metatarsal are often more parallel, like these two. See, they're parallel. So um, when we have someone with a bunion, that space is generally a bit more of an angle like this. So instead of being like this, it's more like this. That's genetic factor number one. The second genetic factor, this is I'm simplifying greatly here, is that um, someone with mo more mobile, mobility in their joints. So often if we saw someone with this and really stiff joints, we don't see about bunion so much. But we see it more in people with more mobility in their joints, more um, ability for the joint to move. So those are the two genetic factors. And then, but I think if we only, if we had those two factors and never put a shoe on, we would just have a really nice splayed foot. So the environmental factor is that we have a splayed, that we have a shoe so that does this. And this is what creates a bunion. And a bunion is um, bony change at that joint, okay? And so um, it, it's, it can be like people, a lot of people have surgery. What they do in the surgery is they cut this bone to straighten it so it's more parallel. And then they might release some of the ligaments here so that they don't pull the toe this way so much and then try and tighten them here to keep it straighter there. So, um, and then often the goal is to get back into the shoe that they couldn't fit anymore because of the bunion, which then is what caused the bunion in the first place. So yeah. um, what do we do about it? So we can release the muscles through here that are pulling over there. We can tighten the muscles with strength work on the muscles on the inside here. Um, I can show you that actually. That's really, there's a muscle here on the inside of the foot that um, if it pulls tighter, it's straight. It's a toe straightening muscle basically. Um, and then there's other ones that are deep to the, um, to all the other foot muscles, I'll get these off, that across here, these little muscles here, their job is to pull the toe this way in a bunion shape. So we can release those ones with massage through the top and, and freeing them up, ball massage. Um, 
But you know, you can do that till the cows come. If you don't, if you keep putting your foot in a, in a shoe that does this to your toe, then you're still going to have a bunion. And so, um, wearing a shoe that lets your toe be straight is very important. You can wear toe spaces. They're these things that spread your toes out. But again, they they are um, window dressings on the real deal, which is um, footwear to let your foot work. And then um, a lot of I think there's we can even go further back to people sitting all day. Like if you sit for longer than six hours a day, you're considered a sedentary person. Um, and so. If we're sitting all day, we lose the ability to use our hips properly. And when our hips aren't working well, our feet aren't working so well, and we're more likely to collapse into our feet. And I think that is a factor in a bunion as well. So if I'm seeing someone for a bunion, they're going to be looking at their footwear, foot mobility, strength, but then their lifestyle changes as well. Like let's get you on a standing desk or sitting on the floor more, or, you know, let's change how you, your whole body moves because that's having a contribution to the bunion. Absolutely, 100%. And traditional podiatry will put an orthotic in there and not change the shoe. And maybe that will take some pain away, but it's not going to take the deformity away. It doesn't slow the deformity down. Um, and and when that doesn't work, they end up having surgery. But, or, you know, like you don't fix bunions with orthotics and, sh and conventional shoes. Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine it takes some time. So obviously it has taken some time for that bunion to get into that shape in That's the first right. place. Yeah. It's going to take time to adapt to the other way as well yeah right? definitely it takes a long time it takes a long yeah. time and if it's going to be quick it's almost not worth it like then it's not permanent change and if we're and we're not going to probably like we end up seeing bony um lumps on the side here and we're probably not going to get rid of them but we're going to see the toe straightening and being a bit more and more functional it doesn't come to down to how so much down to how it looks but more how it functions yeah absolutely what I'm hearing you saying, what I've heard many, many really smart physios say is that it's not the problem isn't just, you know, humans aren't postures. There's no such thing as one perfect no. posture. And no. there's like, if you sit all day, even if you stand all day, you're still going to get into problems. It's like we are movers and we need to have the variability to go into a lot of different shapes and postures yeah. and do it very often. And the foot is what I'm hearing is the foot is no different. And that's exactly my message. The foot is no different. Whereas in the past, we've always had um, this vision that the foot is what needs support. You know, you see it every day in the gym. Everyone in their active wear, which is, is quick, um, clothing that lets their body move as it's designed to, and then they have a shoe on, which is not letting the foot move as it's designed to. And they'll say, where's the research there? It's like me asking, where's the research that says a straitjacket is not good to do overhead pressing in the gym? Because that's the same question. It's the same thing is going on. I just thought of this yesterday. Like if we're going to put it, if, if we're going to say where's the research that changing the way your foot moves is not um, is not conducive to poor foot function, then we could say that about any part of the body. And it's just a given that we let our body move with clothing um, when we're moving. And so, you know, like, but even that can be um, translated to clothing every day you know like i come to work in a cl in clothing now that i can um squat in that i can run in that i can overhead press in and i'm just looking after people's feet here at work and i have all the clients say oh you, have you been out for a run today because i'm in like more athletic wear but i'm like why would i ever put anything on my body that doesn't let it move the way it's meant to move it just doesn't make any sense at all 
100%. To me, like one of the most uncomfortable things in life is putting on jeans. Yeah. And that's exactly, exactly why. Well, and, I actually have jeans now that are quite stretchy. So in winter, yeah. I wear jeans. And then I get told, not told off, but people are like, oh, you're looking pretty casual today. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to move. You know, who cares? 100%. I'm so culturally past dressing up. Yeah, 100%. With people who come to the gym, you know, as a personal trainer, like yeah. one of the easiest things for me as a coach to improve someone's movement and improve their ability to put the tension into the right places and just their, you know, how they feel about an exercise is if they're wearing cushion shoes, take the yeah. shoes off. Just yeah. go with your, you know, go with your socks. If you don't mind, let's take the even the socks off. You just bare feet. You get so much more feedback from the ground. And it's like the easiest way to improve any exercise where you are standing on two feet or, you know, on one foot, like split squats, squats, step ups and all that. And, and if yeah. you're not doing that, you're kind of missing out on on the um, ability to use your feet and the rest of your body. Like there's a big chink, like link in the chain that is not being used. And so, um, yeah, like if we're not, if we're not using our feet, then we're missing out, I think. 100%. I usually, I've heard the analogy that, um, have you ever tried playing a piano with a boxing glove? And people go, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, I see that now. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense. That's right. So, yeah, go on. you go ahead. No, I was, I, no, it's fine. Okay. The other thing I wanted to ask you, the other thing I've had come across quite a bit with clients is plantar fasciitis. So could you please explain what's going on with, with that exactly? Yeah. So the plantar fascia is the connective tissue. I've got my model here again. Um, and this is not, the models aren't very good for people just listening, but if they're watching, then they can see. Um, but the plantar fascia is um, the connective tissue across the sole of the foot. In, until they're about 12, a child's about 12 or 13, it's still connected to the Achilles around the back of the heel. And so it, it's really part of that fascial system on the posterior um, side of side of our body, so um, it's part of that posterior fascial line. That's what I was going to say. And so it's um, we've thought that its job is to stiffen the foot as we toe off. So as we push off through the big toe, it should get tight and bring the bones of the foot together and um, into a rigid form so that we can lever off through our foot. That's what it's, um, we've always thought that's its big job. Um, it's now kind of found out that the muscles beneath it, and there are four layers of muscles between the bones of the foot and the plantar fascia. There are a lot of muscles there. Their job is to do that as much as the plantar fascia. And the plantar fascia is more of a trigger for them to fire up. So when we start using our big toe joint, it triggers these muscles to, to contract and create a stiff foot. So most of our modern shoes are really stiff from the big toe to the heel. And so... And then they've got something called toe spring, which kind of pushes it off for us when we're walking or running or moving. And so if, we, um, if we're not using joints and muscles, then they waste. They don't, they don't, um, they're not as efficient or as strong as they could be. So in most shoes, our muscles within our foot aren't being used like they should. We're still tugging on the plantar fascia, and so it gets less support from the muscles and can then start to, de to degenerate. So it's not a tear as much as a degeneration or a lack of good blood supply. Like we see um, necrosis, which is um, death of tissue within the plantar fascia. So, um, and then the body trying to heal it with hypervascularization, which is more blood supply, which is unhealthy. And that's what causes the pain. So 
it's not so much an inflammation. And so even the word plantar fasciitis is not a correct term because you don't get inflamed there. It's more um, a fasciopathy or a, um, a pathology of the plantar fascia because it's not being supported by the muscles. And so it has to do more work and it fatigues and can't cope with it. So what do we do about it? Well, we um, let the foot start moving. Well, first you might have to settle it down. Like this might involve um, something that takes some of the angriness out of it. It could be cushioning or it could even be arch support or taping or heat or rolling um, a ball to try and free up the fascia in other areas along your calves, the posterior chain. And then um, looking at mobility issues, like if you've got a really stiff foot, then those muscles aren't working and they're not going to take the support, like take some of the load off the fascia. Um, and, then, and then working on those muscles to make them stronger. And then looking at the way we walk to make, the, um, make sure we're um, walking efficiently as well. So it's like, you know, maybe a five-step process of settling it down, changing function, working on mobility, strength, and then looking into gait retraining as well. Like it's, it's not a simple procedure. Modern podiatry now, or I should say traditional podiatry, is using like shockwave therapy, which is basically, um, they're not really sure why it works, but it's a, it's a painful procedure. And so maybe um, they think it might work because it changes our brain's perception of pain in the area. And so um, if you apply different pain, then it might take some of the pain and the heal away. So, you know, you could go to a podiatrist and they'll say, come six times over the next six weeks and we'll shockwave your heel. And um, that's, you know, I don't really go for that. You could use a cortisone injection. That's going to wipe out any pain stimulation um, in that area. So that, again, doesn't get to the root cause of the problem. Uh, you could, uh, an orthotic is going to load the area differently, so that could be changing the pain. So that's why it can work. Um, but again, not a long-term solution, just it's creating even more stiffness. It's like putting a cast on the foot. That's going to work because it takes a um, load off, but it's not going to be a, make it a long-term better way to load. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of the other things that happen. Yeah. Yeah, it really sounds like it's coming to the same thing. Number one, remove the underlying problem yeah. and or support it in the beginning, but the long-term strategy is to remove the underlying problem and then to get those other, you know, the small muscles of the foot and the whole ankle com complex to work as they're intended to and take yeah. off the load from that specific Planet tissue. Fashion. Yeah, and the yeah. problem is that a lot of people that change, one of the big problems that I face is a lot of people that change to minimalist shoes, barefoot shoes, or going barefoot more often, end up with plantar fascia issues because their foot's not ready for it. And so we need to do everything in a very, like load management is everything. We have to um, ease someone into it so their foot can slowly get stronger and more supple and more mobile. Um, because if we do it too quickly, then plantar fascia or heel pain can be something that happens. Especially if we've been wearing a heel cushion shoe for a long time, our gait has probably changed to quite a heavy heel strike. And so then when we put a minimalist shoe on um, and strike heavily on the heel, it's, it's going to get angry and sore at times. Yeah, I remember the first time when I, I, bought, a, I bought my shoes on Collins Street, Melbourne. Um, and I, had to, um, put, I put them on straight away, my first Viva Barefoot shoes, and I had to walk two blocks. And it was the longest two blocks that I've ever bought. It was incredible. I felt like I've never walked before in my life. Yeah, and, and you're thinking, what have I done? Am I doing the right thing? 
Yeah, absolutely. I was because I was like I was I realized that I had been, you know, striking very, very heavily onto the ground, almost like landing with a straight knee. Yeah. And then um, it was quite a quite an unpleasant experience from with with those shoes. So they really do force you to um, change your the way you walk. And that's kind of a good segue because I would have a few questions about walking specifically. Yeah. So before we get into that, could you please break down what you mentioned efficient walking? What what is what's involved in efficient walking, and what is you know yeah. what's 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 happening when you walk in the feet. So um, we're designed to walk and run for a very long time. Like our bodies are equipped to do that almost better than they have to do anything else. It's what makes us um, the dominant species of the earth because um, we gave up our ability to use um, an opposing digit on our feet to be able to stand up upright and put our head above our ankles. And so um, we do it extraordinarily efficiently because we're nomadic creatures and so we can just keep walking or running for a long period of time. And efficient walking is not an overstride, so we don't put our foot out in front of us because that acts as a break. And this is similar to running. These rules are quite similar. So we're more likely to land a bit closer to under us, our body, our foot under us, and then have really good, strong hip extension. So our, our stride should be just in front of us to a long way behind us as opposed to out in front of us and then lifting up early. So that's at the hip what I see um, should be happening, less flexion, more extension. And then, um, so that which puts our foot closer to under us when we land. And our foot, our, our leg is then not as fully straight. It's got some give in it at the knee and the ankle and the hip so that um, we can shock absorb through all these joints. Um, the foot itself is the best shock absorber there is. When our heel lands on the ground, um, our foot starts to pronate, which is rolling in, and this is what should happen, and we've got these really negative um, connotations towards pronation. But if we don't pronate, our foot, um, our, our whole body will just be jarred because our pronation is what really shock absorbs for us. So when our heel hits the ground, it rolls in to bring the big toe joint to the ground. That's pronation. It does it gently. Our foot's unlocked. It should happen um, in a very smooth way, and it conforms to whatever is on the ground because we've got so many joints in our feet. When we get to that big toe joint and start pushing off, it triggers, like I mentioned before, the, um, the plantar fascia and the windless mechanism and the muscles within the foot to stiffen, and we push off with a very strong lever, um, and our hip is extending, our knee is extending, our ankle is, ex uh, is um, extending as well. And so we're getting this triple extension and pushing off through our big toe, and it's a super efficient and super powerful thing to do. So that's that's what we do when we walk. Yeah, yeah. It it sounds to me, and the way I've kind of learned this, that it sounds like there's there's three distinct phases. There's a there's the landing. Yeah. Then there's a there's a phase when you're you're applying force into the ground. Yeah. Which is the the pronation, and then there's the follow through when you're yeah. the, just with with the big toe. Yeah. Uh, what I see with a lot of people, and what I experienced myself, was that you were kind of just landing straight into that middle. Like there wasn't that that first part, that first landing when you kind of absorb the load. That's yeah. not there, and you just like you said. Then the, if you're not absorbing the shock with the foot and the ankle, then the stress is going somewhere else in the system. Yeah. So what do you find is the best way to? I don't know if it's figured that out or like get yeah. require access to that landing. Yeah, so um, I think actually walking barefoot, not even in minimal shoes, because minimal shoes still give you the license to jam your heel down too hard. 
And so um, there are gait retraining tools, like it depends on what the problem is, but just actually walking barefoot on a hard flat surface um, brings you very close to that way of landing because it hurts to do it any other way, you know. Um, another tool that I often use is get to some get someone to walk backwards with a very um, exaggerated hip extension, big toe landing, rolling back onto the heel. So we're exaggerating the movement in a reverse, and this is like a, a, a rewiring of our neurology. And so that works. It's amazing to see someone who has a um, a less than ideal gait. I get them doing that drill, and to get to begin with, they're very um, generally very poor at that drill and so we smooth out their backwards walking and then get them walking forwards and we see a far smoother transition from the heel to the forefoot to the toe off with normal walking as well incredible i think i'm, I'm gonna have to try that um, yeah. with, with one of my one of my clients i'm thinking yeah absolutely other thing as a as someone who's grown up in finland and where there's ice i yeah. kind of realized that it's exactly as if you're walking on ice because if you if you walk on ice and if you don't land with a soft knee yeah. and like kind of like roll yourself forward, you're yeah. gonna find out very quickly that it's a terrible strategy to move forward because you're gonna slip on your bum. Yeah, yeah, like that. So yeah. Um, whenever we exaggerate the um, the surface, so that's ice or a hard surface. You know, like a big big argument against um, non-supportive shoes and non-cushioned shoes is that we walk on hard um, flat surfaces all the time now. But we, but we, um, not one step is the same. And if anything, it just should teach us how to be better at adapting to whatever the surface is under us rather than just going, oh, um, I'll just give up. You know, I'll just put a cushion there instead. How about move better on that surface? That's a better solution for my mind. Absolutely. And yeah. I think this, this really highlights the why we're saying that the foot is actually changing its shape as you're going through each step. So yeah. now if you have a shoe that doesn't allow shape change to happen, yeah, that's a problem. Like that's, that's, a, that's a massive problem. You're simply not allowing with every single step that you take, you're not allowing your foot to do, to do its thing. Yeah. 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 And so people like they say, I can't, I, I can be in barefoot shoes, but not on hard concrete surfaces. That's because you've unlearned the skill yourself, you know, like if, if children, like, again, this is my biggest passion for children not to be in ever put into the shoe that makes them need a heel. You know, you hear people say, oh, I need a heel. That's only because you've been in a heel for so long. If you never had the heel, then you'd never need the heel. If you never had the cushion, you'd never need it. So, you know, when a baby is born, um, starts walking, um, they're suggested to put in a wide, thin, flat, flexible shoe. And that message should never change. But for some reason, once they get to two or three, they're in their little Nikes, they're in their little cushioned, supportive shoes. If they never went down that path then, then they would never need to. And I would do myself out of a job happily. <laughs> yeah. What what exactly happened? Like, where do we? Where do we go wrong? Where do we go wrong? What happened? Um. So I think podiatry itself came. Is um. There was always a um, podiatrist, but not nearly as big a boom as there is now. In the sort of um sixties, there was a big running boom, and um, a lot of sedentary people started running, and with poor skill and so the shoe companies had to sell more shoes and they didn't want people to get injured so they put cushioning and a heel because that accommodated people's poor movement it gave them license to overstride it gave the people with tight hip flexors an ability to run because it accommodated the way they were running because of their poor movement so instead of retraining people to run properly they just went oh let's give them something that lets them get away with this accommodation 
And then it just has infiltrated into every shoe. You know, like now everyone just walk is out there walking in those shoes. And when you go to a shoe store, you don't want to put something on and buy it if it's uncomfortable. So that um, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just, it's, um, it's fact. When, when you go there, you're not going to want to put a shoe on that is uncomfortable. And so the people that are selling the shoe need to have something that's immediately comfortable. And that's like the catch. If you sit on it, it's super comfortable. It may not be that good for you, though, if you sit on it all day. 100%. Yeah. It's nowadays, like, when you go and see the newest Nikes, or like, it's like, how much more ridiculous can you make that thing? It's like, how much how much higher can you make it and how much more cushioned? It's yeah. crazy. And, and I, um, there's a big argument at the moment about nocebic language, language that tells you there's something wrong, you know? And, mm -hmm. and a lot of health practitioners are really becoming attuned to... I'm not doing this, not giving this language that tells you there's something wrong. But um, even in footwear, when you go to a shoe store and that's got motion control and helping you push off and helping you stabilize, this is all language that's telling you that there's something wrong with the way you're moving. Like it's, it's um, basically confirming there's something wrong with you. And um, pretty much 99% of the population don't have something wrong with them and can function perfectly well without all this extra stuff. But when you're constantly given this, you're like, oh, I overpronate. Oh, I need shock absorption. You know, like, really? Um, foot, the foot um, podiatry and the footwear industry is lagging so far behind. It's just feeding people the idea that there's something wrong with them all the time. That they yeah. need help, you know? Yeah, when you hear the same message, you start believing it. Yeah, that's right. And the message is cultural. From, the, from when you're three, you're told you should be in that stiff, supportive shoe. And when you're three, your grandma and your parents are saying, oh, your feet are rolling in, you better do something about that. If your feet didn't roll in, then you've got, pro you've got some problems, you know? So it's, it's ingrained in our culture that our feet are, need, need help. And it's uh, just a lot of rubbish, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Kind of going back to what we were, you were mentioning about kind of two questions. The first one is transitioning to barefoot shoes. Yeah. So how would you go about making that transition as smooth as possible? It depends on where someone's starting, definitely. But um, if they've been at home barefoot a lot, which a lot of people have these days and are comfortable, that makes it so much easier. And then you can just start, you could go straight into a minimalist shoe and, um, and, be, and a minimalist shoe is wide, thin, flat and flexible. And so you, you could start doing like day-to-day -day errands in that shoe or just going to the gym in that shoe and training it because in your feet, you're going to be aware of your feet. I wouldn't go out on my 10K walk in that shoe just yet, you know? And so it's all about load management, depending on where you're starting and where you want to get to. Um, and some people will never get there because they've, they've created so much dysfunction, it's going to be a huge amount of work and they don't need to or they don't have the motivation to get to wearing a barefoot shoe. And so there are shoes that we call transition shoes and they're often wide, flat, but they have some cushioning in them. Or you can even um, put an orthotic or some minor arch support into a minimal shoe. And so we have these um, ways of helping people transition um, to a minimal shoe. And it's, it's many and varied and really depends on the history. But um, for people that are listening to this, where, wherever you're at and wherever you want to get to, just don't do it super quickly. Do it really gently. It's like if I wanted to squat 200 kilos and you put the bar on my back, I would crumple. But in three years' time, maybe I could squat 200 kilos if I squatted three times a week and did and, and built up the ability to do that. And it's the same. Um, some people can do it straight away, um, that transition, and others can do it. Um, it might take them years. You know, so, yeah. Great. Yeah, load management is key and gradual yeah. progression. That's the yeah. key.
Fantastic. So when you have, because uh, you also mentioned this, that if someone is transition thinking about transitioning to barefoot shoes, but they're, oh, this is something I've always thought about, is that let's say we have a conventional shoe that has a bit of padding on it, and I'm running on it. You know, I'm I weigh more than ninety kilos, so does that actually absorb that much? Shock. Yeah. Is it- so, so um, the a cushion shoe takes load off the foot, and so we might use that. If someone comes to me with a stress fracture in their foot, we might use a cushion shoe because it deloads the foot. Yeah. But that that load doesn't go away. It has to go somewhere. It doesn't like disappear into the ether or into the shoe. The shoe doesn't gobble up the load. It goes elsewhere. And most of the time, when we wear a big cushion shoe like that, we're landing. And with a straight leg and it goes into the knee, it goes into the hip and it goes into the lower back. So we see a lot of runners in their 50s with um, with knee issues or with hip issues or, you know, there's a huge um, wave of people getting knee reconstructions or knee replacements and all this type of stuff in very young age. And it's because we load, we deload the foot and the foot's meant to cope with some of that load. You know, like I explained before, it's a shock absorber in itself, the way it naturally functions. So when we take the load off the foot, it goes elsewhere, it goes into our knee, it goes into our hip. Yeah, absolutely. So Andy, before we, this has been absolutely great, before we wrap up, what would be your, just your quick, just to kind of summarize to the listener, your quick recommendations to someone who hasn't been wearing any barefoot shoes in their life. They Maybe they've realized they've been looking at their feet during this episode and be like, uh-oh, um, <laughs> there might be something going on there. Um, what would be your, just to wrap up, your recommendations and how would you go about get, getting to a more of a barefoot lifestyle? Well, I, I hope that if you listen to this episode of your um, podcast, that you just take some awareness of your feet. Like, I just want people to become more aware of their feet. If they become more aware of their feet then um, and how they move, then that's like step one, basically. So if you can just do that and, and just think about what you're putting your feet into and, and as in which shoes you're putting in and how functional your feet are. Also to think about how your feet are designed to function, you know, like we weren't designed to wear shoes. So whatever you put upon your foot, it's going to have an effect on your natural function. So I just like to get people thinking about it and then if you want to go down this path of using your feet more and, and tapping into the, the goodness that that brings you, then you just need to ease into, um, you know, maybe over summer going for more some barefoot walks or taking your shoes off in your yard, just getting the feel for the ground, getting just, just tuning in to what your feet are telling you. I think that's the basic start. And then from there, you can take it as far as you want. I have a mate running the marathon in two weeks' time barefoot. And um, he is obviously taken to the nth degree. Um, and you don't need to do that um, to have healthy, functional feet. But, you know, that's where you can take it. Yeah. Just going to the park, like I was saying earlier before we jumped on, you know, yesterday was a nice and sunny day. I was in the sunshine. I was in the park and just taking your shoes off, walking around, you know, listening to the birds, looking at the clouds go by, like, wow, this this really just feels so right. It just yeah. really feels like this is what, you know, there's at least some part of our lives is supposed to be like this. Yeah. And we've all got these, like a lot of people have mindfulness practices and meditation practices. Taking your shoes off creates this um, immediate um, connection to where you are in space in time and slows you down and makes you aware of so much more around you just because you have to be because you don't want to stand on something. 
and because you're getting some feedback into this sense, um, almost like the sixth sense that is our feet, we're just getting so much um, information through our feet to the rest of our body that you have to become attuned to that and slow down. So that's critical. Fantastic. Andy Bryan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Could you please tell the listener where they can find more about you and follow your amazing work? Um, so it's easiest on my Instagram, which is Bryan underscore podiatrist. Um, I have a practice in Mount Waverley in Melbourne and Collingwood in Melbourne as well. Um, I do online consults as well, but um, contacting me through my Instagram is the easiest way to do that. Um, there are, from there, you can see other ways to contact me, and I answer all of those contact methods, but um, that's the best way to get to me. Fantastic. Amazing. Thank you so much. Wow, how interesting was that? And how much nuance is there when it comes to your feet and something as simple, seemingly simple as walking, we take it completely for granted. But there obviously is a lot that goes into walking efficiently and walking in a way where you're absorbing the forces with your ankles and your feet as opposed to with your hips and your knees. So I highly urge you next time you go for a walk, be a bit more mindful and see how you're landing. Are you landing with a soft knee? Are you landing with a locked knee? You should land with a soft knee. You should land underneath you, not in front of you. You shouldn't take too long strides. And just feel how the foot pressure, where is the foot pressure when you go through each single step. And you find that something as simple as walking can really become very, very mindful practice. So what shoes should you wear? Well, I can tell you what shoes I wear. And I wear almost exclusively Vivo Barefoot shoes. And I've been wearing them for about three years now. And some changes that have happened in my feet is quite crazy because my exactly what Andy was explaining, my toes have splayed out and my foot is so wide right now that I simply can't fit my foot into any other type of a shoe than a Vivo Barefoot shoe. So I really do think that I'm in for the long ride. And I basically have one shoe for every single occasion. I have the Primus Knit Luxe. That's the shoe that I wear at work. I have Primus Trail 2. So those are a bit more a bit more sturdy, a bit more robust, and I really love hiking in them. I love training outside in them. If it's a bit muddy, if I'm not just training bare feet. I have the raw so that's a little bit smarter a bit more like smart casual type of a shoe and then i even have the i think it's called scott so that's the winter shoe and i actually took him really for the test ride because i took him to finland a couple years ago and i went to the very north part of finland it was minus 20 degrees it was ton of snow and i was walking around in this you know they're a winter shoe but they are by vivo barefoot so they're pretty flat they don't have much cushioning in them, but they're really, really wide and they allow my foot to, you know, do what it needs to do inside the, inside the shoe. And I felt pretty comfortable. And even in minus 20 degrees, even in a ton of snow, I felt pretty okay. I obviously, I didn't feel as, you know, in Finland when it's really, really cold and you really get into some really deep snow. I think they're a bit flimsy for that, but as long as you're not going into the deepest, deepest snow, then they're really just fine, especially in the urban environment, even in very, very cold temperatures. So I highly can recommend Vivo Barefoot Shoes. So if you want to take action and if you want to try what a Vivo Barefoot Shoe would feel like, the guys at Soul Mechanics, so 
soulmechanics.com.au if you're based in Australia you can get a 15% discount at soulmechanics.com.au or in their shop which is based in Melbourne in Hampton so you get a 15% off on all Vivo barefoot shoes if you use the code coach so that's in one word all capital letters coach so I would highly recommend you to check that out if you are based in Melbourne I would recommend going to Hampton going into the shop because the guys are very well versed in everything that we've spoken today and they'll actually take you through a free foot and shoe assessment and they can help you out to decide which shoe is the best one for you so just remember the code coach and you're going to get a nice 15% off from your vivo barefoot shoes if you've enjoyed today's episode please share it with at least one other person who also needs to hear this message right now someone who always wears the biggest and the most cushion and the most narrow toe boxed shoes who's also always complaining about their sore feet i think that this is exactly the episode that they need to hear right now if you've enjoyed this make sure to please leave a rating and a review on apple Podcasts and on google reviews as that's going to help me to bring out more awesome guests into the podcast into the future thank you so much for listening i hope you have a fantastic day this is coach Burr. let's do this